Malcolm Honline is traveling. Where? Well, he'll reveal that in a moment. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you, but I'm not sure I am either. It's my <laughs> third country in three days, you know, and you get a little confused. So where'd the trip start? In Israel, and then it went to Cyprus, and now we're in Greece. Uh, rem- and it's the beginning of a tripartite effort. We have the leaders of the Greek-American community and some Jewish leaders, and there's going to be a summit at the end of the month of the prime ministers and presidents of the three countries who are going to begin and launch what we hope will be an Eastern Mediterranean coalition or more, but they will serve each other in many areas, tourism, economics, energy, security, intelligence cooperation. It's already ongoing, and it will intensify even more, and then other countries hopefully will join it, and it could be a a truly revolutionary change. It will take a long time, and it will be evolutionary in that sense, but the impact could be very significant. Uh, can you describe that just in further detail for those of us who um, you know, find it difficult sometimes to keep track of these things? What would be the historical part or the, you know, the really revolutionary part of this type of arrangement? Because this would take the focus off of Europe as the dictating power in the Middle East. The Middle East was called that because it was relative to Europe. Right. And the European powers had come into the, to the area, carved it up, dictated the the, uh, borders, and in fact, we see the collapse of that system. You also have the competing powers of uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. You have Turkey versus Iran. You have Sunni versus Shiite. You have so many uh, conflicts in countries that are unstable, with borders disappearing, uh, and uh, with no prospect, really, of, of seeing any kind of change in the near term. Here you have countries that are stable democracies, both Cyprus and Greece and Israel, that could be joined by, let's say, Egypt, perhaps Tunisia, Morocco, Spain, Italy, all Mediterranean powers, uh, countries, uh, Malta, um, maybe one day Turkey, and they would uh, be able to work together promoting tourism, uh, joint tourism, to promote uh, economic exchanges, work on harvest, agricultural stuff, uh, water reclamation. Israel has so much to offer these countries, and it will give them a sense of independence and uh, to be able to rely on each other. Uh, and, and as you see the crises in the Mediterranean region with the influx of, of the migrants and uh, ISIS presence, uh, other terrorist organizations, or Al-Qaeda, uh, having countries that like these that can share their experiences. As you remember, when the fire took place in Israel on Mount Carmel, uh, it was Greece that sent the firefighting, and the first country there was Cyprus with uh, equipment uh, that Israel didn't have, like the planes that could dump large amounts of water. You just, so I, sorry. Yeah, you described Greece, though, you just did, as a strong democracy, again, to the average person, because what we've read and know about its economy... And how it's always painted as a country that's "quote unquote" ready to fall apart. Uh, is it in fact as strong as you're describing? Democracy and economic viability are not the same thing, but I do think that the potential exists, and they have uh, improved somewhat. But they're far from uh, being out of the woods uh, in terms of the economic burdens that they carry. Um, some of it accumulated over many years. 
And the current government is one that is has taken some uh, draconian measures and will take more. Uh, I do think it can stabilize, but it's certainly democratic. And I have to say, a country that for a while was uh, considered unfriendly to Israel, you cannot imagine how effusive the response is to Israel. And by the way, Israelis about Greece and, and Cyprus as well. Yeah. And uh, just, just just to review, for those of us who don't remember how it works ge- geopolitically, Greece and Cyprus are are what? Are, are associated? Are basically one country? What are they? No, they're separate countries. Both are members of the EU, by the way. Greece was one of the few countries in the EU, perhaps the only one that re- rejected the labeling of products from the uh, territories. And... Um, and both Cyprus and uh, Greece have taken positive stance. We want to see them do more at the UN and other places, but uh, but generally very positive. Cyprus is a 45-minute flight from Tel Aviv, and the oil finds are adjacent to those of Israel, the uh, gas finds. So there is a, a natural linkage, and uh, if they're going to construct, let's say, uh, LNG facilities to liquefy the gas in order to ship it efficiently, have doing it collectively and working with Egypt, let's say, as a, as a, both to use their facilities for that and as a market, it's just unlimited opportunities. And then Greece is another hour and a half or so from Cyprus, from Cyprus uh, to Athens. So you're talking about very short distances and uh, many common interests. And hopefully this can flower. And you alluded to it, and we keep reading about the refugee crisis and how Greece is one of the most affected countries. Is that correct? Absolutely, because they come through here. This is, you know, that it's it's 300 miles from Libya to to the coast here. It's about 180 miles to Crete, the island of Crete, which is part of of Greece. So it's uh, you know it's a natural transition point, and the Europeans uh, criticize them. Uh, for the flow of, my, of migrants, yet you see how Sweden, which is so quick to condemn Israel and whose foreign minister has said so many outrageous things, and I hope people uh, will let them know and, and demonstrate it in whatever way they feel is appropriate to let the Swedes know how they, we feel about this constant uh, and harangue of, against Israel and calls for boycotts, call for uh, punishment of Israel. When when they they close the bridge between Denmark and Sweden because they want to check them and they want to limit the number of immigrants too, but they're very quick to criticize others, and uh, rather than looking inside at the growth of anti-Semitism and racism in the country that that has reached uh, really alarming proportions along with rape and crime. Um, I always ask you this when you travel: Can you describe the Jewish community in Cyprus if there is any, and is there a strong Jewish community in Greece? There isn't really a, a native Jewish community in Cyprus. There's a Chabad Rav, and there is uh, in in Larnaca, and um, uh, but there's really not a Jewish community per se in Greece. There are about five thousand Jews, as you know. This was once a much larger and thriving community, especially in uh, Thessalonica or Salonica, as we call it. In fact, it was such an important community that the ports would close on Shabbos because the majority of the stevedores were were from, were Jews. And um, the Nazis came in and eradicated about 90% of the community. And it is a diminishing community. They went through periods of of more blatant anti-Semitism, the rise of Golden Dawn just a couple of years ago. And and when this current government, which was seen as more leftist, took over, many people were concerned that they would be anti-Israel as opposed to the 
right-leaning government that preceded it that was very pro-Israel, as opposed to the prior governments who were not pro-Israel. Um, and in fact, that is not the case, that they have uh, expanded, in fact, the relationships with Israel significantly. And uh, the Jewish community here, while under tremendous pressure, the, this, there's a day school, but it's it's economically very stressed, and there isn't money. I mean, people are in difficult economic straits, um, but you see the cars, the traffic is very heavy. There are beautiful facilities here, and uh, it's like many other countries that are have been impacted by the economic crisis of the last years. Your Shabbos plans are all set? All set. The community is hosting us tonight and the rabbi tomorrow, and we will... Um, uh, be speaking with them, and the leaders of the communities from outside of Athens are coming here for Shabbos to meet with us. Are they going to speak to you about uh, outside sources helping to fund Jewish schools and causes in Greece? They have uh, frequently done so. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and they have, uh, you alluded also earlier to the fact that they also have an Al Qaeda slash ISIS problem, right? Um, I, I assume that. Uh, uh, just like every other every other significant country, they have uh, uh, they have um, terror cells that are of concern to them, right? There's no immediate uh, Al Qaeda or ISIS threat here. Um, of course, like everybody, it, it strikes everywhere and anywhere, and it's struck in Jakarta, a Muslim country. But uh, there there's no when I asked them about the, that very issue, there did not seem to be a major concern. Although, as I said, you know, ISIS is reestablishing itself in Serta, in Libya, which is along the Mediterranean coast opposite uh, Greece, and they are concerned about that, very concerned about that development. Right. I bring this up because it, it, I don't know if you heard or, or saw a text of the State of the Union address uh, by the president, but wh one of the things that baffled me was his uh, description. He, he says, as we focus on destroying ISIL, over-the-top claims that this is World War III just play into their hands. Masses of fighters in the back of pickup trucks, twisted souls plotting in apartments or garages. They pose an enormous danger to civilians. They have to be stopped, but they do not threaten our national existence. That's a story ISIL wants to tell. That's the kind of propaganda they want they use to recruit. Uh, do you agree with that? I, mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this description, frankly. And if, uh, if it helps us understand the seriousness of what ISIS is all about, why not? Uh, allow the media to continue to portray them this way? Well, I think that there, you, 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 we always have to be factual. We always have to be credible in what we say about dangers or issues that arise. To say it's World War III means that this is a global threat. Right. It's not saying we, you don't have to have planes flying in the, in the air. You have bombs exploding everywhere. You have, uh, whether it's South America, Africa, Asia, certainly Europe, America, South America, and see the rise of Hezbollah. And it's not ISIS alone or ISIL or IS, and it's not al-Qaeda alone, which is resurgent in some places, including Syria and, and Sinai. But the threat of, of terrorism, global threat of, of, of Islamist terrorism, is in fact something that will require all countries who value democracy and freedom and are concerned about the safety of their citizens to react and to respond, and uh, uh, and we should not diminish and dim the the threat. And I will tell you that I think for Muslims it's important that those responsible be identified because otherwise everybody gets tarnished with the, this blood at this brush. 
And Muslims are the first victims of most, in most cases of, of terrorist groups like these because they arise in Muslim countries or where Muslim populations are, are present. So I think the idea to say that, look, ISIL is not, is not the former Soviet Union with nuclear weapons is true. It's a valid thing. But, but to, to those who say it, it's not because they're trying to exaggerate it. If, if that's the case, then why mention it at all? Right. The point is that, that we mention it because people have to be aware of it, and people have to look at the totality of, of the threats posed. ISIL for Israel is not the greater danger. It's Hezbollah. And when I met this week with the defense minister and prime minister in Israel, you know, they, they talked about Hezbollah as the great danger. ISIL can kill people like, like the PA, uh, like the um, terrorists in, in, who are striking now and then with the knives and stuff. But they can't destroy Israel. Hezbollah has 100,000 missiles. That can destroy a lot of Israel. It can pose a threat. They can't. Nobody today, I think, can wipe Israel off the map, including Iran. They can do a lot of damage, but I think Israel has the capability, etc. So we have to put things into, into the right context each time. Uh, but when we look at, at, at you know, the developments in the world today and you see um, Al-Qaeda saying that they're going to hit Rome and Madrid and Naples and uh, other targets that the, uh, and, and the, the PA talks about car rammings and knifing and encouraging people and still gets, gets back into the excitement business and nobody has, uh, has a bad word. You see Saudi Arabia now with Iran squaring off, which could give rise to all sorts of consequences and where they all have proxy groups that they can invoke to in in this kind of circumstance so we have to face a reality of a world in turmoil and identify those who are responsible whether they are terrorists or whether they're state-sponsored terrorists or states that are involved and when we see uh, hatred and bigotry like in france you know today is kippa day in france right. where people were encouraged to wear kippot because of the murder of mr goslan and and the attacks on, on Jewish boys because they were wearing yarmulkes, and there's a debate of rabbis whether they should or they shouldn't. The result is that 7,000 Jews left France, and they had the biggest immigration from Western Europe in Israel's history. People are voting with their feet. They're telling you what the reality is uh, on the ground with all the murders and assaults, and not because the French government is indifferent to it, but I'm not sure that they're capable of, of changing. They put 10,000 soldiers in, into Paris and stuff. So... We have, uh, you know, on so many levels, uh, really disturbing developments, and, and we have to be honest about them. You don't sugarcoat them, because it's only when we clearly understand the dangers and are willing to stand up to them and act against them, and America in the, must be in the lead on this, because the absence of America, the vacuum, is being filled by others, like Putin, like uh, many others, or where the situations turn into, into turmoil. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us, weekly update. He's the uh, executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, speaking to us from Greece as he's getting ready for Shabbos uh, in Greece with the delegation that he described. Um, so you met with the defense minister. That must have been uh, <laughs> the, I don't know. It sounds to me like your your tone has I, don't, I shouldn't say changed because I don't know if you've expressed it 
in any which way beforehand. But it sounds like you're more optimistic when you say that nobody could wipe Israel off the map right now. And, I, and I'm sure there are a lot of people in all seriousness who are very glad to hear that out there because sometimes we give the impression that it's not exactly like that. Well, I've said this for a long time, including on the show, that, that right now, with Egypt not only neutralized, but working cooperatively with Israel, and, and often in remarkable ways, with uh, Syria disintegrated, with uh, Iraq in, in also in turmoil, uh, the danger is Iran. Right. And it remains Iran. And, it, and Iran, we run the risk of seeing Iran come to Israel on three sides, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, trying to get up on the Golan, the IRGC, but, you know, they're competing against al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and ISIS and everybody else who's along the Golan border. Uh, and it's a fact al-Nusra goes, fights against ISIS in, in getting to, and the IRGC getting close to it. And you remember when they killed the Iranian general and they, they was there with the Iran Revolutionary Guard and Hezbollah and the uh, Syrian army um, personnel. The, um, and then the fourth border, of course, is Jordan, which is a great concern to Israel to stabilize it and to keep it uh, with the millions of refugees from Syria, in addition to the two-thirds of the Palestinian, of the population being Palestinian. And the possibility that if, if uh, Iran is able to successfully, let's say, overthrow the regime, and that would put them right in the heartland, in striking distance of the heartland of Israel. But that is not the case. And uh, thank God that Egypt has done a lot to counter both in Gaza and the Sinai. They haven't been victorious yet, but they, they've, it makes a big difference that you have an ally with whom you can work on that, uh, on that front. Uh, so there is no power that right now, there's no constellation that is likely with Saudi Arabia and UAE and others being more favorable or inclined, let's say, towards Israel, that its situation in that regard is just better than it perhaps was in a long time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you mentioned defense minister. I don't know if this is under the jurisdiction of the defense minister, but uh, and you also alluded to the random stabbings and the you know terror attacks by the PA incitement, etc. Uh, I hate to keep asking you this question because it seems like nobody has an answer, but you did meet with the defense minister. Is there... Anything different regarding how Israel's approaching these random stabbings? We know there were more attacks this week. Uh, anything encouraging that was said in that meeting? Yes, Israel took delivery of a German submarine, which will give it a long-range striking distance. But it's not going to help against the people carrying out knife attacks, but it is good news. Right. The, look, this is a different kind of, of war when you have... Uh, Individuals not organized, maybe inspired on the internet, but essentially not organized uh, uh, in a whack-a-mole uh, fashion, rising to to attack, and then you see that the response is different. In that they, the the order is kill before you're killed, right. not to do it wantonly, not to do it irresponsibly, but many more killed than are usually done when when such incidents take. Took place, and many of them are, 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 are amateurs. They're not professionals. They're not trained to to you know really carry out attacks. Nonetheless, they've hurt a lot of people. Two dozen or so have been killed uh, in in, in the, all of the attacks, or uh, less. And and it's a matter that that strikes at the heart of the sense of security of people, which is very debilitating. So 
they are, and they, and they do feel that they are getting a better handle on it. Their intelligence is better. They have the, destroyed some of the houses, which sends a very important message, although now we understand that the PA is giving them money to rebuild them right away, and it may be money coming from Iran, or uh, we'd have to do some more research yet before we're sure which um, which actual place it, it's coming from. What do you think of the Iran release of the U.S. sailors? Well, I think that the seizure was outrageous. I think that the the uh, putting out the the video, and if you look at some of the, the Iranian papers over the last two days, you see that they they have them the pictures of the sailors kneeling, and then uh, saying that they were sorry for what they did, etc. Uh, it appears that the boats were not incapacitated, or because otherwise it couldn't have sailed out as they did. I think there's a lot more information that has to come forward on it, but. Again, you know, I don't know. The fact is, diplomacy released the guys, but what is the great victory here? What is somebody we're giving going to give tens and tens of billions of dollars to, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps today, and and you know, we're touting it as if it was some humanitarian gesture on their part. They shot missiles against uh, rockets over our our aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. They they launched missiles. They still have not been sanctioned for that. And and I'm worried about what is the signal and what is the message in the region where, as some people portrayed it, you know, as humiliating and, and embarrassing to the United States that, that, you know, we should have gone and, and found ways to demand the immediate return. And I don't think we should be thanking them for, for giving back our soldiers and sailors who they admit were clearly not on any kind of a mission to, to spy or to infiltrate the country. Without an Iran deal, would they have been released? Yes, because, uh, you know, Iran had no basis in which to hold them. They might have kept the boat like they did with the British, and you remember they kept them for a number of days. So the deal might is certainly an incentive, and it's certainly a factor. I don't know that it, it would have been determinate in this case. And, <coughs> and frankly, you know, if they had kept them, I would have hoped that the United States would have taken really strong action. We have... Americans being arrested more even since the deal was signed, and and nothing is, seems to be being done, certainly not overtly, to get them out. You didn't watch any of the debate when you were in Greece, did you? No, I did not. What do you, what do you think of this? <laughs> what do you think? Do you, <laughs> I see debates all the time. I don't need to watch it. What do you th- What do you think of <laughs> this interesting turn of events that Hillary Clinton is now in a real race with the with the caucus and primary? You know, the first one's just two weeks away. So I think this year taught everybody that nothing is predictable in American politics. It's it's a reflection of many things. I don't know what the long-term uh, consequence when you get out to other parts of the country beyond Iowa and New Hampshire. We'll have to see how it plays out and how the Republicans, how much damage they're doing by their attacks on one another and whether this will, whoever ultimately wins, will, have come, will come into this so bruised that the... Uh, you know, they'll have a hard time winning. So I think people have to remember that it's a long time till the election. It's 11 months. It's it's a lifetime in politics. So many things can happen. And, uh, you know, there are always revelations in the, the, the emails. I think those things raise the trust issue. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't see in the long run that, that I think her support in some other states is going to be much stronger. But I think everything is... Up for grabs this year. Not that Sanders is likely to be a, a final candidate, uh, just as uh, people say that Trump won't can't be in the Republican Party, but he still remains. You never know. You never know.
and and look at look what some of the things this week we saw the revelations about Pickering, Ambassador Pickering sending the the recommendation to then Secretary Clinton about uh, engaging the NGOs, non governmental organizations, to undermine essentially the government of Israel to to organize protests and to have women. Palestinian women, others, but may, but Palestinian women leading the demonstrations, and he says actually only women because they won't engage in force. If you put men, their culture is that they will engage in in physical acts, uh, and uh, I mean it wasn't rejected outright. And you saw Martin Index outrageous comments about uh, what what uh, Netanyahu was supposed to have said about Rabin, and it turns out they weren't sitting near each other. Then he said it was at another occasion. Um, that you have the two former ambassadors to Israel coming out with and a veteran U.S. diplomats. Uh, Pickering served in you know all over the United Nations, Israel, uh, Jordan, Russia. Uh, to me, these are this is a disturbing, um, very disturbing uh, to see this kind of thing and and, and that undermines or. Uh, the perception of the relationship between the United States and sometimes why tensions arise if these are the kind of things that are being said uh, amongst those who who are not no longer but were or certainly tangentially involved. What about the uh, the effort by some to have Israel removed from the Olympics? And I'm talking about effort by some in Israel. Uh, okay, I don't think it's serious. I think Israel should be uh, it wants to be normalized as a nation in the world and should be participating wherever it can and there are enough places that want to ban Israel I think it's ridiculous to say that that they should not uh, uh, should should not participate in in this international gathering which becomes a a platform look they almost they want some metal last time I think in sailing uh, yeah but some form my, of sailing. my point is it's amazing what we ourselves do on the on the international scene to you know to, to put down our own state that, that, exactly and that's too much and people have to be much more careful what they say how they say it um, you know we have real dangers we and there are real opportunities you know the house this week passed by 191 to 106 the Iran terror financing transparency act which will give them more oversight and bars uh, you know the prompt removal of institutions or people uh, from the treasury list uh, who are sanctioned unless the president certifies uh, he may veto it but we have to be supportive and thank the people who do it and to um, and you know the Supreme Court is taking up a case of the two billion dollar judgment against Iran from the victims of terror, including the families of the eighty three Marines who were killed in Lebanon and they are moving to to reverse the lower court judgment of two billion dollars against Iran uh, so there are a lot of things that people should be focused on that can be constructive that need us and not you know, nitpick and start, and, and the, the rush to criticism, I mean, the pieces that we've seen published by people, you know, saying American Jews are leaving Israel, they're abandoning Israel, I don't see them doing it. Is there a diminution of interest amongst young people? Yes. Has there always been? Generally, yes. In a time of crisis, will they stand with Israel? I believe yes. We have to do more to educate them. We have to do more to educate certain segments of the population. But frankly, yeshivas have to do a lot better. Day schools have to do a lot better. And we have to help those who do not get a Jewish education learn more and not wait till they're on campus to to uh, worry about um, you know about their attitudes when they fall victim to the BDS campaigns. And you saw the Methodist Church this week backlisted yeah. five 
banks because who who they say were supporting housing construction in the territories. Right, which we would consider a victory for the BDS movement. Obviously. Well, it is because the Methodist Church is, is an important church, and they will come up as another vote later on, and we will continue to fight it. On the other hand, there is now these faculty groups, and they've had many successes uh, in, in stopping other votes, and the American Historical Society Association was a critical one. Uh, I think it sent a very important message uh, about uh, that uh, BDS will not be accepted, and that uh, you know the radicals who, who are supporting it, the, the Students for Justice in Palestine and their cohorts. And that's why, you know, in part, some of the concern about, um, you know, Netanyahu's came out this week for the legislation, the NGO legislation in right. Israel, which has been divisive and has uh, sparked a lot of debate. But the question is, what do you do when foreign governments, when Europeans are pouring money into these campaigns, into BDS, into groups supporting BDS, into groups that are, are undermining uh, a government, the government policy? We don't allow them to do it here. We don't allow people to foreign governments, as far as I know, to to give money to campaigns. Israel should be able to bar it. Be, they should be barred from the political process. And that NGOs in this law are being asked to disclose it. It doesn't bar it. I think that there are concerns. I know that, that people have raised legitimate legal concerns, and I hope they will be addressed. But when you see the manifestations of this and how... Uh, foreign money and and even government money, including Swedish money, is going to pay for some of the the most critical and and unjustified activities, not the legitimate criticism where people have a difference over policy. Couple of things, Malcolm Honline live in in Greece. A uh, couple a uh, couple more things. Uh, Turkey after the Istanbul bombing, did they have a victory against ISIS in terms of their military response? Well, it's not a victory because uh, ISIS was able to pull it off. And, you know, initially they blamed the Kurds and blamed others, but it turns out that it was IS. IS was sending a message to Turkey. It won't be the last one. Uh, as you may not uh, know, but uh, Turkey has sealed off a good part of the country, the eastern sector, and they're engaged in essentially a civil war against the Kurds. And there's very heavy bombing and fighting in some areas, I'm told. Um, Turkey is, um, uh, you know, it has has uh, tried to seal its border a little bit and cut back, but, uh, you know, when when uh, the EU is giving them $3 billion to deal with the flow of refugees to, to accommodate them in Turkey, and we find out that, in fact, they're sending them back into Syria, which is a war crime. And uh, Turkey is uh, moving to build a base in Qatar now, so they're trying to extend their influence. This is the neo-Ottomism that we've talked about, that they want to recreate the Ottoman Empire, just as uh, Khamenei wants to recreate the Persian Empire. And they're building base in, in, in to extend their influence in the Gulf in uh, Qatar, as is France and Britain. Uh, you see the, what the real aspiration of, of Erdogan is. And uh, while we hope that relations with Israel will improve, I think it's going to be a long-term prospect. It will be very gradual and incremental. And um, and our coming to Greece and, and Cyprus, by the way, had nothing to do with uh, Turkey. Was uh, It was an idea planned uh, many months ago, and it's the second time that we've had these joint groups here in, in the last four or five years. That the uh, you know there should be room enough for good relations with all of the countries. But Turkey, you know, continues to raise really serious questions 
both about what they're doing domestically, arresting journalists and others, and I think that the Jewish community is very tenuous now. And finally, was this a significant week in the relationship between Israel and India? It is, and it will be even more so, uh, because there are going to be some very important visits. Trade with India is increasing rapidly, and uh, the India-Israel relationship uh, also manifests in the fact that the Menei Menashe have come, the Jews from uh, from India in large numbers are, are coming back, um, in the thousands, not tens of thousands, like the Ethiopians, but thousands, and, um, and, and, and Israel is looking now to the east. Uh, Japan is improving relations. China has a great deal of trade uh, going on with Israel. So these are uh, very significant economically, but also politically, and open up uh, new horizons for Israel. As I said before, to build the broadest coalitions to let it stretch from the Indian Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, it will be even greater, and Israel will become, you know, the dominant power. Not, but Israel will have a lot, at least a lot of friends, and and I think that this is the right time for these kind of moves. Not against anybody else, but as a positive assertion, and they can help each other. Israel's water technology, uh, post-harvest reclamation, so many areas that these countries need in India, which has to feed, you know, will bypass China. By the way, it's estimated in population because wow. its growth is much faster. Um, these are technologies they need, and I think it. And Modi certainly has proven his his uh, very pro-Israel uh, inclinations. So, not to be dismissed. Very important uh, development. Uh, great analysis. Enjoy Shabbat in Greece, and Bezrat Hashem will speak again next week. I would I would sing Zorba's song, but I don't know it. But oh. <laughs> thank you, and have a good job. Should have practiced. Uh, Malcolm Holmheim is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us. Fridays with a weekly update here at JM and the AM.